Welcome to Lead Today with me, Kalina. Let's talk leadership. Hello and welcome to the show and this series. We are rounding it off with the meaning of self-knowledge. If you're new to this series, I of course recommend you go and listen to all the episodes, but we're talking about the undiscovered self, the dilemma of the individual in modern society. So far, I was to give a Cole's notes, Jung's, oh, by Carl Jung. <laughs> um, if I was to give a Cole's notes about this series, I would say that we're really delving into the importance of analyzing things, any organization or any policy, any way of living really, Jung's assertion from this book is to start with the level of the individual. And that means that any group is really just a collection of individuals. And whenever we try to work off of averages, we're getting ourselves into, into trouble, really, because we're not considering the right level of analysis. If we work on averages, the problem is that nobody is really average. Nobody fulfills the average in every single criteria. And so working from a group identity or an average is problematic because while people might fit some characteristics of the average, they won't fit all of them, or they won't be exactly the average. He gives a visual of a stone and a set of stones and where the average of the weights of the stones are, I think, 140 grams and it's to say that not one of the stones from the collection was actually 140 grams. And that's the problem with an average is that, well, nobody is really the average because we're this collection. And so you could be 100 grams and you could be 180 grams. And so if you looked at the reality of the situation at that 100 gram stone and the 180 gram stone, Neither of them would really fit the average of what you were expecting to see if you were working off of averages. So his assertion is that this is problematic when it comes to um, the state, when it comes to churches or other religious institutions. And he's really speaking to the idea that the antidote to all of this in our society today is a personal relationship with God. And that's interesting in and of itself to say that the antidote to groupthink or getting into this idea that the group will solve everything is to really go down to the back to the level of analysis of the individual and not just the individual, but for the individual to cultivate their own relationship with God. And um, so that's sort of where we're at. And last episode, we talked about the meaning of self-knowledge. And the main takeaway from that, from my estimation, was that we really have both a conscious, so unconscious, but also this sort of good versus evil dichotomy that we wrestle with as humans and that God is this unity. And so what we're looking for as humans is to attain this unity and, to, and that he thinks that our shortcoming is often that we discard or discredit or try to project the negative or evil parts of ourselves. And he thinks we should embrace that part and that we should acknowledge that it exists, understand it so that we can utilize it better in the world. And by utilize, he doesn't mean, okay, use evil. But I think what he means is to discern it and therefore avoid it, or let's say 
neutralize it, if you will. And if you don't have, if you think you don't have the capacity for evil yourself, you won't be looking for it or you will be naive is his assertion. And so we don't want any of that. And in this episode, in this episode, in this chapter, which is exceptionally short, it's literally four pages. I could probably just read it to you and you could make of it <laughs> what you will. Um, maybe that's an idea, although I don't know. I don't actually know the rules on reading full kind of full sections of books, but it is only four pages. So um, I think I think some core things that I got from it are that the meaning of self-knowledge and self-knowledge is the exploration of our own souls. Um, he starts out by really saying that the shadow or the inferior part of the psyche is more than just that negativity. It's more than just that evil. And he says, this is page 107, the very fact that through self-knowledge, that is by exploring our own souls, we come upon the instincts and their world of imagery should throw some light on the powers slumbering in the psyche of which we are seldom aware so long as all goes well. They are potentialities of the great dynamism and it depends entirely on the preparedness and attitude of the conscious mind, whether the eruption of these forces and the images and ideas associated with them will tend towards construction or catastrophe. So, and we know that Jung studies dreams, right? And so he's saying that there's this kind of bubbling up of these images, right? And from previous episodes, we talked about how these images are symbolic of the core human or what it means to be human and that we have, we need to update these images based on how society continues to evolve and update itself. And that's where he sees a dilemma as well, that we're not updating these images that are very present in religious symbolism and that he thinks that they've lost their meaning in the present day or that people have forgotten their meaning in the present day and that we should be aware of their importance and the idea is that as we go towards self-knowledge this exploration of our own souls um that well there's imagery that will come up that is very powerful in the psyche in this unconscious self that can come up and they can either be constructive so I guess supportive right or catastrophe in that well they derail us completely and he then points to the psychologist being the only person who knows how precarious the psychic preparedness of modern man is for he is the only one who sees himself compelled to seek out in man's nature those helpful forces and ideas which over and over have enabled the individual to find the right way through darkness and danger. So again, right, we're not trying to avoid darkness and danger. And I think this is so prevalent in society today. We see it all the time. And now we see this kind of counterculture in the other direction of, okay, no, I'm going to go do a cold plunge or I'm going to um, do adrenaline rush type of activities like skydiving, anything that can bring us close to danger but it's a sort of controlled danger and so you see it in human nature this tendency to want to push the limit want to see or understand danger and darkness but kind of with a finger prodding at it and not wanting to awaken the beast and so he's saying that with with therapists they're often willing to support the individual to find the right way through darkness and danger. And Jungian analysts are, are doing this often with dreams and the symbolism that comes from dreams, which is meant to help you navigate these difficulties in life, whether it's addiction, 
or just repeating patterns in your your life can be relationships can be just the way you interact with yourself or the world um it's looking at these symbols as a means of helping you navigate danger and darkness and he really goes into which is sort of interesting how how the psychologist needs to create that safe space i think we touched upon this a little bit in the last episode um where there are no oughts or shoulds he says and you're not meant to be the advisor the admonisher and we certainly i certainly see this in coaching where you know people don't follow advice and that's a premise of milton erickson's work which perhaps he borrowed from jung i'm not actually sure if he was influenced by jung which would be an interesting thing to get into um but this idea that you know what? People don't follow advice. And so the oughts and the shoulds of a therapist in all reality don't help someone. And it's supposed to be this space of, look, you really need to listen. You can offer up ideas, but it's, again, the responsibility needs to be on the individual coming in for that support and, or, and, or, um, the individual in society. So the, the story doesn't really change here, whether he's talking about um, therapy or any other place in the world. He's saying the duty is on the individual, um, similar to the psychologist. He says you can help one person versus 10,000, but nothing changes if not at the level of the individual. And so we see this, right, with everyone wanting to be an influencer and gain public attention and be famous or be an, this influencer public personality. And yet nothing changes if the people you're talking to in your audience, right? Even in this podcast series, it doesn't matter if I reach one person or a million people, as much as it matters that at least one person changes the way that they're behaving. And even if that one person is me, which is kind of heartening in the fact that I, this podcast does not get a million views yet. <laughs> um, but he's saying that that's the point is that, the world doesn't change unless we change the level of the individual. And so whether you're going to therapy or seeing a coach or you're running this podcast or your own business, whatever it is that you're up to, remembering that your efforts, even if you're hoping to scale your business and support hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of people, remember that all of those people, those groups really are just a collection of individuals. And so focusing on, and we hear this advice even in marketing content, right? Right write your letter, make your show, do your, do your email as if you're writing to your friend or your, your avatar, your persona, right? It is if you're writing to one person and it's because you are. <laughs> so even you not meaning to talk about marketing, you know, we've translated this idea and we've seen how effective it is when we individualize any types of contacts with clients, even if we're emailing a mass list of thousands, millions billions of people. And so here he is, page 108. The effect on all individuals, which one would like to see realized, may not set in for hundreds of years, for the spiritual transformation of mankind follows the slow tread of the centuries and cannot be hurried or held up by any rational process of reflection, let alone brought to fruition in one generation. What does lie within our reach, however, is the change in individuals who have or create an opportunity to influence others of like mind in their circle of acquaintance of acquaintance. I do not mean by persuading or preaching. I am thinking rather of the well-known fact that anyone who has insight into his own action and has thus found access, access to the unconscious 
involuntarily exercises an influence on his environment. The deepening and broadening of his consciousness produces the kind of effect which the primitives call mana. Mana. It is an unintentional influence on the unconscious of others, a sort of unconscious prestige, and its effect lasts only so long as it is not disturbed by conscious intention. Whoa, so interesting, right? Because it's sort of like your presence, your and mana, the definition there is healing power or spiritual energy that has this influence on the environment that can really change. Well, and spiritually transform individuals. And it's so interesting. I was just listening to an episode of this artist, entrepreneur, really successful guy on Joe Rogan. And, um, you know, he's talking about he won the game of money. He won the game of sex. He won the game of power. He can do anything he wants. And now he's on this spiritual game. And he talks about the world as this video game or like a video game for himself where he can reach all the levels of attainment in any area of life. And so it's interesting for people that are striving in any of these areas. That's definitely something I speak with when I, when I coach individuals making their business, making their lives more into a game rather than this serious pursuit. If you can gamify something, you're normally better off. Um, and so he kind of says that, but so it's interesting that once you beat quote unquote all of these worldly levels of money and basic needs and power or sex or these kind of humanistic aims you will aim toward spiritual some places some religions call it enlightenment um but this harnessing of that unconscious energy making it conscious and Jung here is saying that well it's actually this un involuntary exercise of influence on the environment through the unconscious that he says only lasts so long as it's not disturbed by conscious intention. So really his idea is that, and he says, nor does the striving for self-knowledge altogether shun the prospect of social amelioration since there exists a factor which, though completely disregarded, meets our expectations halfway. This is the unconscious zeitgeist. It compensates the attitude of the conscious mind and anticipate changes to come. An excellent example of this is modern art. Though seeming to deal with aesthetic problems, it is really performing a work of psychological education on the public by breaking down and destroying their previous aesthetic views of what is beautiful in form and meaningful in content. And so he talks about, and, and what's interesting, right, when we're in a, a wartime where there's rebellion, you see street art and graffiti and more violent or vulgar art that comes up through the times, through the zeitgeist, based on what's happening in the political, in the discourse of society. And, and so just fascinating to think about, well... He says here, this tells us in plain and universal language that the prophetic spirit of art has turned away from the old object relationship and towards the, for the time being, dark chaos of subjectivisms. Certainly art, so far as we can judge it, judge of it, has not yet discovered in this darkness what it is that holds all men together and could give expression to their psychic wholeness. Since reflection seems to be needed for this purpose, it may be that such discoveries are reserved for other fields of endeavor. 
Great art till now has always derived its fruitfulness from the myth, from the unconscious process of symbolization, which continues through the ages and which as the primordial manifestation of the human spirit will continue to be the root of all creation in the future. So again, he's saying, you know, art comes from this symbolism that we talked about in previous episodes, where it's this unconscious symbolization that continues through the human spirit from the original man is what he talks about or from pretty much our roots. And so he says this, there's this root of creation that we kind of, this thread that runs through time. And so something like the Bible or the Quran or, um, other religious texts, they have this thread telling the creation story, telling this story of our symbols through the ages and how they kind of continue and continue to happen and how we repeat these stories. And so the stories in the Bible or a religious text are the symbols in a way of this dialogue that has been going on through the ages and will continue with that presupposition through the ages as we continue to go on. It starts and continues with these creation, with the creation of these myths. The myths bring about a story and bring about the symbols of what it means to be, what it means to be human is his idea. And so he continues talking a little bit about well, let's read it. So page 110, the development of modern art with its seemingly nihilistic trend towards disintegration must be understood as the symptom and symbol of a mood of world destruction and world renewal that has set its mark on our age. This mood makes itself felt everywhere, politically, socially, and philosophically. We are living in what the Greeks called, and I don't know how to read this word, but the right time for a metamorphosis of the gods. That is of the fundamental principles and symbols. So again, he's pointing to, okay, we need to update the symbols, right? We kind of go through these ideas, these times of destruction and construction, death and rebirth, and that we're sort of, we've been in this nihilistic trend of breaking down everything that has been known and rebuilding it again. Although in, in theory, I mean, it's not, my understanding of this would be that this never really stops. In the same way that we're always creating, I think we're always disintegrating or deconstructing and then rebuilding i mean i think it's a continuous thing but that's just my understanding because he says this peculiarity of our time which is not certainly not of our conscious choosing is the expression of the unconscious man within us who is changing coming generations will have to take account of this momentous transformation of humanity is not to destroy itself through the might of its own technology and science so but this is the part that I'm not so sure about because I mean, the conscious man within us has been changing, I think from the beginning and the technology is speeding up that change. And so maybe rather than it taking generations, it's taking less time maybe through technology, we're speeding up that trans transformation. But I think it's important to also consider what a lot of people are doing work on, which is the ancient wisdom, which is the biological that doesn't keep up with the technological that our biology cannot adapt as quickly as our technology is and so we're we can run into big problems because we're not as adapted and we're not we're not able to just upgrade our software and perhaps some people are working on upgrading our own software as well in some ways to be able to keep up with technology and science but um, he's sort of foreshadowing here and something that we should think about it's it's quite just remarkable that he's talking about this in when was this I mean 
this book, near before when he died, 1957, right? So, I mean, we're talking like no computers that are in everybody's homes and smartphones. And, and he's already speaking to the fact that um, we need to be careful of how the conscious man, the expression of the unconscious, how it's changing due to the transformations that are taking place alongside technology and science. And this is something we know today, right? Everybody's, oh, what are the implications of AI? What are the implications of um, gene therapy or different ways that we're altering um, human lifespan, artificial organs, 3D printing of organs? You know, what are the implications of this for us and updating these symbols of the unconscious? His idea is that we need to continue to update them so that we can the human spirit can collectively understand and shift with these changes of the times. At least this is my understanding. And, and he does warn of, you know, don't destroy yourselves through the might of your own technology and science. And so, you know, it'd be quite sad if the downfall of our civilization as we know it came from our own doing, wouldn't it? <laughs> I mean, I shouldn't laugh, but somehow it's like, we are our own destruction would be sort of a, an interesting end. So, and, and this one is so, here we go. I, I like this part too. At the beginning, as at the beginning of the Christian era, so again today we are faced with the problem of the moral backwardness which has failed to keep pace with our scientific, technical, and social developments. So much is at stake and so much depends on the psychological constitution of modern man. Is he capable of resisting the temptation to use his power for the purpose of staging a world conflagration? Is he conscious of the path he is treading and what the conclusions are that must be drawn from the present world situation and his own psychic situation? Does he know that he is on the point of losing the life-preserving myth of the inner man which Christianity has treasured up for him? Does he realize what lies in store should this catastrophe ever befall him? Is he even capable at all of realizing that this would be a catastrophe? And finally, does the individual know that he is the make weight that tips the scales? Happiness and contentment, equability of soul and meaningfulness of life, these can be experienced only by the individual and not by a state, which on the one hand is nothing but a convention of independent individuals and on the other continually threatens to paralyze and suppress the individual. The psychiatrist is one of those who know most about the conditions of the soul's welfare upon which so infinitely much depends in the social sum. The social and political circumstances of the time are certainly of considerable significance, but their importance for the weal or woe of the individual has been boundlessly overestimated insofar as they are taken for the sole deciding factors. In this respect, all our social goals commit the error of overlooking the psychology of the person for whom they are intended and very often of promoting his own illusions. So, whoa, it's like, first of all, he's saying, do you realize what these myths of the inner man that Christianity and other religions have been preserving for us. And we're willing to just throw these away without a second thought. We have to be very careful. And it's not to say that religion and the human touch on religion hasn't had its issues or come with its downfalls or weaknesses. It's to say that there's something at stake here with the wisdom that comes from the stories of Christianity, these myths that are sort of baked into society. And so careful be careful in dismantling 
a way of thought or this this current, this thread that runs through our society. Be careful in just dismantling that, thinking that it's wrong. Some certain things that humans have done are wrong, but this undercurrent of these stories that have stood the test of time, centuries over centuries, let's let's think about the wisdom within them and not just throw them away because they preserve this, this inner man that he says is so important. And the only way to really make sure that we do this is to know that the individual is the make weight that, tip the, that tips the scales. So again, he's just imploring you to remember that you are, you are important. You as an individual have to take up this responsibility. You can't shove it off to someone else. Just as you can't project the evil onto everything else in the world, you also can't give the responsibility to everybody else in the world. We need you to take responsibility for this pretty, pretty important burden of, of understanding these myths. You need to understand it. You, not just me, not just every other person listening to this or scholarly individuals that know more of this than us. No, we as the individual need to take up the pursuit of this understanding and this relationship with the, these myths, not, well, actually, I was going to say not to memorize them, but I mean, when, when these stories were spoken and not written, they were memorized, they were so internalized because you knew the story. You knew the story to be able to recount it to someone else, to teach it to your children, to teach it to future generations. And so in that way, you embodied it because you you had to assimilate it. You had to assimilate the information. You didn't just carry around a Bible and wave it around or have it with you. And so, okay, I have this Bible, right? I think now it's on paper. And so that, and I've, I've learned a little bit about that and that shift from oral tradition to written tradition lost a lot of this understanding, a lot of this sort of beingness of the information, the assimilation of the information, if it's all written down and recorded, and we see this even further with the next technological insight, right? We don't have to embody the information. We don't have to assimilate it into as a part of us because the phone, we can just Google it. So, and, and this is the gripe of, I think, older generations of younger generations today, right? Oh, you just, you just look it up on your phone. You don't need to know it. You can just look it up. And one argument on the on the younger generation side or the or the innovative side would say, okay, but we don't need to remember all of this rote information. We don't need to remember it. We can look it up at a moment's notice. We need to know how to research. We need to know how to find information, how to sift through lots of information because we have an information overload. That's the new skill. That not being able to find information previously, like. Even when I was in elementary, I had to go into a library and look up information from books. I had to find the right books. If the library didn't have the book, I had to go to another library or wait until the book came back. You had to find the information for yourself in a book. And before that, you had to find the person that would know the information. Oh, you want to garden and plant tulips or radishes like okay go to joe joe knows how to do that he'll teach you right and that was the apprenticeship model in careers it was a model of you have to go learn from someone and pass this down and there's something of a the, the that human spirit that we're talking about that thread that goes through time when things are not written down it really is this human spirit that gets passed down whether you know whether it's the knowledge of a 
a baker or um, this these mythological stories, it's passed through time through individuals. And so the fear or the risk of that, of course, is that, well, if we were all just obliterated, oof, those stories are gone, right? In the individual, if the individual dies and they don't pass it on, it's gone. If you write a book, if you write it down on a stone, anything, it can live on past you, your being in a more tangible format. If you have kids and you pass on these stories to your kids and they continue to pass them on, it lives on in your kids. And so he, Jung earlier in the book talked about, right? We have this need to procreate, this biological need to reproduce. And then we have this need to preserve ourselves, self-preservation to protect our own livelihood. And those were our two basic needs. And so it makes sense, right? That through stories, you would be passing the wisdom down through generation to generation now the the hurdle or the roadblock or potential problem is you can learn everything on youtube and so what do you really assimilate into you what information do you really embody in the present moment and know and and really hold within you not hold as in you have to hold on to something but hold as in you gather this wisdom and you gather these understandings and there's something so powerful about knowing deeply knowing and embodying the stories of the bible and the myths and how they relate to your life and the ways in which you are living out a myth yourself right and that's where he, joseph campbell's work or the hero's journey is so interesting because you are you take up an adventure in your life whether you're willing to have kids and you have kids and you're living out that story or you're living out the story of your career and the advancement and the ch the challenges you're facing and the problems you're solving in your career, you're on an adventure of your life. And so every as you live out this individual myth, his idea is that, well, you meet a mentor and you go on this journey and you go into the belly of the beast, if you will, or you, you'll face the darkness and danger. And then you'll come out atoned and renewed into your new day you'll be new you'll be born again and so it's it's a similar kind of you part of you has to die in order to atone and then be reborn um into your new form your new updated form and so it's interesting i think because <sighs> we're going even one more step removed now with the technology that we have we're going one step beyond writing which is okay now it's not an oral tradition where I share it with you. It's within us. It's sort of this living, breathing thing. Now, okay, it goes and it's written down. And so it's not so living and breathing. It's kind of set in stone. It doesn't evolve. The symbols don't evolve and change because they're set in stone. And now not only that, but there's technology and the sifting of information and the deciding of what's important or not important. And so that's how we're trying to discern right information from wrong or misinformation and so it's like one degree removed from us again, because not only is it not in your mind and your heart from you sharing this oral tradition, and it's not written down, it's in the cloud, <laughs> you know, in a sense, like it's not even tangibly in front of you, you can't even reach out and grab it, you have to sort of consume it and experience it at will. And so it's just this next layer in my understanding of, I think, a degree of separation from those myths in their original form, which was through story, told verbal oral tradition. 
And so we go away from that and you could argue, okay, but YouTube videos, you can have, you know, this, I'm talking with you now. So in some sense, this is an oral tradition. We're talking through this. Um, and so it's a different time capsule of sorts. This is a different time capsule where I have video, I have audio, I'm, I'm capturing my story for you here in this moment. And I think Jung is just, Jung is just signaling or warning us to be careful of preserving these life treasured myths of Christianity um, and to resist the temptations of power. And that we do that by individually taking up the responsibility to keep knowing these human myths, these very deep human stories that we need to know of exactly that birth trials and tribulations atonement redemption rebirth this this kind of story that we have and we're living every day we're living stories of death and rebirth every day and we need to understand the, that myth or that story that we see through the the story of jesus christ we need to understand how that story also comes into our day-to-day -day lives and well so let's let's kind of round it off. This is the last page, and I definitely want to read it to you because he says it best. Um, so this is page one eleven to one twelve. I hope, therefore, that a psychiatrist who is who, in the course of a long life, has devoted himself to the causes and consequences of psychic disorders, may be permitted to express his opinion and all the modesty enjoined upon him as an individual about the questions raised by the world situation today. I'm neither spurred on by excessive optimism nor in love with high ideals, but I'm merely concerned with the fate of the individual human being, that infinitesimal unit on whom a world depends, and in whom, if we read the meaning of the Christian message aright, even God seeks his goal. I had to read that one a few times myself. So he's not being excessively optimistic or trying to be idealistic in any way. He's concerned with the fate of the individual being. And he has hinged his understanding based on all of his psychological work that the, the whole world depends on the individual showing up to this challenge and understanding the human spirit, proclivity to good and evil, the conscious and unconscious, all the symbolism that comes through in the world. And he's saying that if we read the meaning of the Christian message aright, God even seeks his goal through the individual. And by that, he means, again, Jesus Christ, right, is, is God's son in the flesh, human, comes to redeem all people. And his individual story is one of redemption. And so God's goal even comes through at the level of the individual with Jesus Christ, his son. So whether you're Christian or not, that it's not really the point at all. And hopefully you're not taking this as a, again, this is not like the creed discussion we defined earlier chapters, the creed versus religion. He defines, Jung defines religion as your individual relationship with God. Creed is this like organized church religion thing. I think hopefully we've overcome that kind of quandary here, at least for the purposes of this discussion. I know a lot of people that have issues with the church or churches or organized religion. That's not at all what we're getting at here, like at all. We're talking about the spiritual nature of life, the elements that no matter what you've achieved in the world, 
in worldly things, inevitably, once you reach the highest levels of attainment, you are considering the spiritual, the metaphysical, out of this world, and not necessarily aliens, but that is something people get interested in as well. But I think out of this world, once you've reached human worldly attainment, you are seeking out of this world insights, understanding, relationship, and that is the relationship with God. And so we have to cultivate that as his call. And his call is at the very as the very first step. If you're before, if you don't even want to cultivate your individual relationship with God, that feels too much. And that's where this, this statement of bearing your cross, right? It's like bear the responsibility of your life is the very first step because it's worldly, it's in your control, it's in your vicinity. Start there. And his idea is that this counter to a culture of wanting to go toward averages and group ideals is to remember that the level of the individual is the best level of analysis because it's the most objective and the most, well, understandable. I understand my life better than I can ever understand the whole, every Canadian's life or every American's life or everybody in North America, right? It's like we can start analyzing on these bigger scales, but to be righteous, like, and to act as though I know what's best for all of North America or the whole world is just so incredibly ridiculous that I can't, there's no argument for that. I don't. I know what I can do and what I've done and I can start to ripple that effect out into communities around me. And so start with yourself is the main message here. And that even God, even these big, very revered religious texts and stories point us back to God coming into the flesh through Jesus Christ as the son and at the level of the individual. And so he says, you know, Christ is God made man in flesh. God seeks his goal through us. And that goal is the redemption. That goal is that whole journey that you go on through danger and darkness into your new day, into your redemption. Birth, death, rebirth, this, this cycle of life and that we need to connect to that in our own lives. And so how are you connecting to it? What are you going to do as a result of listening to this? How can you take a little bit more responsibility for your life? Where are you projecting evil and darkness or danger onto others, whether that's institutions or other people in your life? Where are you projecting? Where it's like, you know what? Yeah, I'm not saying that evil doesn't exist, but turn your focus inward on yourself and start improving yourself because that's already a big enough project for sure. And through this podcast, that's exactly what I'm aiming to do is to refine myself by talking with others, by learning from others, by reading books like this, by refining the responsibility that I take for myself and my relationship, my personal relationship with God and my personal understanding of, of the world and of the metaphysical, of outside of this world, of spirituality, of whatever word you want to attach. And I think this is where we get into these semantics where sometimes symbols are better off. Because if you see a picture of a bird, for example, there's no like, is it a bird? Is it an, a flying object? Is it like, there's no kind of, there's still room for interpretation. Okay, what kind of bird was it? Details. But somehow I think with these words that we're speaking, we're creating 
these different languages that other people that we don't understand. And so we have these two different camps and this division. And again, remember the highest goal is that yes, you have good and evil, but that you're striving for this unity, which is God, this unity of good and evil into one, which is God. God is the unity and that you are striving toward that through this death and rebirth cycle and this understanding, better understanding um, of yourself and of the human spirit. So lots of words, hopefully some really solid takeaways. I mean, again, if you take anything from this episode or this whole series, if you just take one thing, it's sort of the age old wisdom of look, take responsibility for your life. And that, that will guide your level of focus appropriately so that you are being the best you can be. And that's the whole point of this podcast is self-leadership, you know, lead today. When we talk about leadership, people think about leading others. And I think Jung's point of that you lead or influence others through your unconscious presence. So work on your unconscious presence by consciously focusing on the appropriate level of analysis, which is at the level of yourself and the things around you and what you can impact, how you're thinking, what you're doing in every coaching session. What are the stories you're telling yourself? What are the actions you're taking on a daily basis? That's your realm. Whether you influence millions, hundreds, thousands, whatever the, the realm of influence you have, you have to focus on you first. And then your influence will unconsciously sort of sprawl out to others. And certainly that's the case. I mean, Jung's book, he's passed since passed away and yet his influence is permeating me and the way I live my life and many others and other people have influenced me and I'm bringing this to you. And we continue through this web of connection to bring forward these messages and agree or disagree, or, or you know, you can think it's doesn't apply to you or how can it apply to you? And you can kind of mull it over in your mind, but what I know for sure is that ideas like this are so fundamental to who we are as people, like the human spirit, the core human spirit, that this is exactly why I do this show. Self-leadership is exactly this. It's taking responsibility over the stories you tell yourself, how you consciously speak with yourself and the actions that you're taking. And the unconscious is deeper work where you get to understand these symbols, get to understand what's driving under the surface. We've all seen that image of, you know, an iceberg and the unconscious mind is like 90% of everything and the conscious is 10%. It's like, okay, so in your waking life, in your day-to-day -day life, even that 10% of the conscious is already hard enough to wrestle with and understand. So start there. Don't hand over your 10% of conscious attention to an authority of some sort that you think is going to sort it out for you. They are going to use it for their own means, their own agenda, whatever it is, whatever organization you hand yourself over to. And that can also be a church. And so I'm not, be careful with any institution that you interact with because they are going to mold and shape how it is that you relate with yourself with God, with the world. And so be mindful of the organizations that you are a part of. 
and the groups that you are affiliated with and the circles that you run in, you know, the circles and communities that you're a part of and ensure that they are respecting at the level of the individual and not subscribing to groupthink and group group ideas that don't respect an individual and the nuances within the individual. So that's something you can do. Look out for what groups and associations you are maybe even unwittingly furthering with your comments, with the with things that you're doing, with the things, the causes that you're supporting. And if you want to retain the sovereignty of the individual, which hopefully through the series, you've seen why that's important, um, but even for yourself, your own individual autonomy and sovereignty hopefully is important to you. And so if it is, do everything in your power to keep that at the forefront of your life in order for it to remain at the forefront of your life. And so that means taking up responsibility for your life, not handing that over to somebody else because it seems easier because you will pay either way. You will pay if you hand over your sovereignty and you will pay if you take up responsibility. So which cost is bigger in the long run, even in the short run? It might seem in the moment that it's easier to hand over the keys to your life and, and just get someone to drive you around. But at some point, you're going to be tired of being in the passenger seat or in the back seat. At some point, you're going to want to take the wheel. And at that point, it will be too late. So take the wheel. Take up the adventure of this life that you have been given with all of the difficulties of your personal situation, with all the challenges of your unique cards that you've been dealt. Take up the, the hand, your cards, take up your hand and, and go and play the game and use your cards to your advantage. Switch up your cards, get a partner, figure out what you're doing in the card game, figure out the rules and play the game. Don't just give your cards to someone else to play your hand for you. So I hope you've enjoyed this series. I certainly have. What a riveting book. What a fascinating set of ideas. It could not be more aligned to the purpose of this show, which is self-leadership. And I think, I think leadership is almost wrongly understood these days because a lot of leadership podcasts are talking about a team, how to how to be more confident, how to communicate better, how to convey yourself more compellingly, the 10 secrets to getting buy-in for your ideas. It's like you get buy-in by having good, solid ideas and by thinking them through and by thinking them th thinking through the individual impact of your ideas on the people that you're presenting them to. That's how you get buy-in, not by these I don't know, not by tactics. No, it's not to say strategies aren't useful, but I think the most useful strategy is this one, is to say, I'm going to focus on improving myself and the people around me will see that and they will, they will emulate it. That's true leadership. True leadership is having people want to follow you and follow in your footsteps because they see what you're doing is meaningful or working. They try it out for themselves. Buddhism is amazing for this, where you're not forced to believe in God. It's really back to Jung's argument of, you know, experience, have your own experience with God, have your own experience with this text, read this book yourself and come up with your own interpretation. This is just mine. 
you know, have your own experience in this life. Don't give it up to anybody else. Don't expect someone else to hand it to you. That's no fun anyway. So, hey, I'm just so glad that you choose to spend time with me. If you've enjoyed this episode or this series, please leave a review. Please share it with one friend. Please write one comment. If you take one action, if you've been, you know, hanging out with me for the hours that it's taken to get through this book, and the hours and hours of this show that exists, if you've been hanging out, please do me a favor and and write a review. Please interact with this content because whatever you're gaining from this, whether it's, hey, it's made me realize what I disagree with or or what I don't like, whatever you're gathering from spending time here, it really does make a difference if you give back and you share that opinion, you share that feedback, take up the responsibility in this regard as well. Um, it will allow the, well, it will allow more people to benefit and understand just one more sliver of, of the world through listening to this and refine their own ideas. So please do share this podcast with one person or review it or take one action to support this show after this episode is done, because it genuinely makes a difference. If, if this whole series has done anything for you, it's to realize that No, if you litter on the side of the road, that matters. It matters because if you litter, we all litter. In a sense, you are the most important level of analysis. So don't throw your impact, your worth, your importance away. Don't minimize it. Make sure that you maximize it in your eyes and you take up the burden of responsibility for your life. Because that's that's a meaningful life. That's a life well lived if you've taken it on fully. So take on the responsibility as a listener of this show, figure out how to write a review, whether it's on Apple or Spotify or wherever it is that you're listening and share this with a friend. It means the world to me. And again, thank you for, for dedicating your time to being here with me. It's why I share this show. So hope to see you next time. We'll be delving into some interesting topics and we have some fascinating interviews coming up on the horizon. So I really hope you'll continue to listen and gain insights from my amazing guests and future episodes. Take good care until we meet again.